My name is Amanda, and on this episode, we're discussing the state of sexual health education in Nigeria. So we're building up on from the last episode on sexual assault and all that stuff. And we're talking about specifically virginity as a social construct and how its ambiguity has been used as an oppressive tool specifically towards women in Nigeria. I know it's, it's, it's a tough topic. At the end of this podcast, we'll, we'll discuss what a healthy, positive, progressive sexual health education curriculum should look like in order to allow youth to make informed decisions about their own sexual health. So let's start with the basics. What is a virgin or who? A virgin is someone who has decided not to, or who has not, whether decided or not, who has not engaged in any sexual intercourse. So what does it mean for something to be a social construct? A social construct is basically something that doesn't exist in objective reality, but as a result of human interaction. So love is a social construct. It has physical representations because we create physical representations for it, but it doesn't actually be, uh, exist as a tangible thing that we can feel and hold and touch. Another example of a social construct is femininity or masculinity, gender, so many other things. <laughs> so the thing about social constructs is that they change as people who make up the society change. So whoever is in the society decides what the social constructs in the society are. And as those people change and evolve, the social constructs also change and evolve. The issue with virginity, though, is that as the people have changed and evolved, the social construct is still remaining the same and it's becoming problematic for a lot of people. So by stating that virginity is a, co- is a social construct, <laughs> I'm claiming a couple of things, three things. First of all, I'm claiming that virginity is not an objective reality. That is, it's not a real thing with physical representation on its own. And secondly, that the value and importance of virginity is not universal and cannot be generalized. And then third, that the implications of virginity can also not be universal and generalized. So you have mean you may have heard some things relating to virginity that are completely false or void of scientific facts. One of which is the basic thing that everybody seems to think that sex is supposed to be painful the first time, or that a hymen covers the entire vagina and is sealed off. Also, false information. I have a code. I always have a code. Even some well-meaning and informed people still make claims that suggest virginity as an objective reality or an indication of sexual purity. And that kind of misinformation can be really harmful, especially in our culture today with sexual violence and assault. One of the major things that people so firmly base their notion of virginity on is the confusion around the hymen. So first of all, I'm not saying that virginity is relative and then it's Relativity makes it irrelevant. I'm saying that its relativity stresses on its importance and why we need to clearly understand what we're talking about and the complexities around it when we're discussing it so we don't make mistakes for people.
this conversation is important because we don't always get the right to decide for ourselves what is right or wrong. In lots of situations, there are other people who are speaking for us. And we need to have these conversations to make sure that what they speak for us and what they claim are put on our life and our bodies and our existence is actually what we want to be put on. So, back to the hymen. (laughs) Just basic definition. The hymen is a thin, fleshy tissue that is located at the opening of the vagina. Many people think that the hymen completely covers the vagina and then it's stretched open or broken open or torn. I don't some people most hymens have a hole in them. It's just cuz like where does periods come from if there's no hole? I'm like what are you uh, anyhow, let's not get into it. Anyways, <laughs> So the hymen is a thin tissue at the opening of the vagina. Some people's hymens are thicker, some are thinner. And that's why there's a misconception of, like, the breaking. So if your hymen is a little more thicker, then there's a possibility that it tears when you have sex for the first time. But that doesn't always happen for everyone. Some people are born with, like, hymens that are so small that they're pretty much non-existent. And then you break your hymen in so many different ways besides or tear, or I don't want to say break, because it's not like, it doesn't break. Anyways, you can ride a bicycle, you can ride a horse, you can use a tampon, you can do the splits, you can work out. There's so many things that, in terms, like, break the hymen, but they don't take the virginity in the same way. Like, in the way that we explain virginity to be. Right? So, questions that some people are asking... Does having a hymen mean that you're a virgin? No, because some people are born without them. So a hymen is not an indication of anything besides the fact that you have one or you don't have one. Being a virgin or not is dependent on whether you've had sex or not, depending on also how you define sexual intercourse to be for yourself. A lot of people are, when they think sexual intercourse, they think very heterosexual, penis, vagina, but... People have sex in many different ways, and you cannot decide that the way you have sex is the rule and guideline for the way everyone should have sex and then base your definitions on everyone else's life. So how is virginity problematic? But It's not problematic on its own independently, but because of the way our societies and cultures are set up, virginity is problematic because we have decided to equate it with value, and that's value as a determining factor for the worth of the person that we're attaching the virginity or not virginity to. So adding this to our history of commodification of women and abuse of power, and then we have a dangerous like cocktail of like rules and institutions and powers that are keeping women bearing the brunt of the consequences that are surrounding losing or keeping your virginity and allowing the men in power to detect when and how these concepts and constructs can be used to oppress women. So virginity is very much, like when people talk about it, they make it seem like virginity is like biological, like it matters in like other species of things. But it's a very human thing. It's not even a real thing for a lot of other animals. We invented it, developed it, and we have shared that idea through space and time, and we are now suffering (laughs) from our own ideas, right? Um... Even though virginity seems like something that is not important in like the long run of things, it's it is very integral to how we view women and how we view ourselves, men and women alike, in society and in culture. 
Quoting from Virgin, an article in the New York Times by Hayne Blank, Virginity is as distinctively human a notion as philanthropy. We invented it, developed it, we disseminated the idea throughout our cultures, religions, legal systems, bodies of arts, and works of scientific knowledge. We have fixed it as an integral part of how we experience our own bodies and selves. And we have done all this without actually being able to define it consistently, identify it accurately, or explain how or why it works. She goes on to say, we live in a culture that doesn't appreciate ambiguity when it comes to either sexuality or morality. And after all, virginity is inextricably intertwined with both. Um, so what the commodification of women means is like seeing and treating women as property. And virginity has been a way that people have used to quantify women as valuable or desirable or not. There's a video that's been floating around on the internet of a dad beating his child because he either caught her having sex or found out that she was having sex when she was 12 years old. I understand that you may be upset as a parent that maybe your 12-year-old child is having sex, but I don't know that beating her the way he was beating her solves anything for him or for her. It just creates like an atmosphere of fear around her and sex and her body without actually explaining why maybe having sex at 12 years old is not the best thing for her to be doing, explaining consent and all the complexities and all the com like consequences that could come from her actions at such a young time. It's problematic not just because it's abuse, but because her value is determined by whether or not she decided to have sex. In the video, you can hear him asking her who gave her the right to be a whore. How can you ask somebody who gave them the right to be a whore? <laughs> Another issue with virginity is that it's not weighted the same for men and women. Because women are seen as property and culturally, men have been taken as higher and more valuable than women then the relationships they have with the concept of virginities are different. Typically, men are told to take virginities almost as a prize for conquest, and the woman is instructed to keep her virginity as a gift for her husband. So if the men are told to take the virginities but also want to marry the virgins, who are they, whose virginities are they taking? And So who is the man that now doesn't get to marry a virgin? Or who is the woman who now doesn't get to give the gift to her husband because this man decided that he wanted to take a conquest because society has told him to take a conquest. And then when the woman gives in to him taking the conquest and now she is less than because she had decided to give in to the conquest. You see how we're digging holes for ourselves? As I've already established, virginity is not an objective reality. It's not a gift to be given or a prize to be won. It is abstract. You either have sex or you don't have sex. The price of crayfish in the market doesn't change. <laughs> I've I had like one of my friends tell me that virginity is not a thing for men because there's no way you can tell that a man has sex or has had sex or not. But then he's saying you just know when a woman has had sex. I'm like, what are you who? Who are you speaking with? What are you talking about? And he was saying it with such confidence too. Like you just know, you know girls, you just you just know what? What do you know? <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> The question of who gets to define what virgins, what virgins are and what virginity is matters. It's not just about like, yes, everybody can say, oh, virginity is like, it means something different to each person and everybody gets to define. But at the, end, at the end of the day, there is a common definition and um, not, uh, not observation. There's a common definition and there are common 
expectations that people have for both men and women. And those expectations directly affect the lives of people. There are women who are killed because they've decided to have sex. There are women who are killed because at one point in time, people believe that if you have sex with a virgin, it's to cure HIV if you had HIV. There's people who abuse women because their virginity is seen as mystical. Women were sacrificed in ancient times because for being virgins as like a symbol of purity to whatever gods. Um, I don't know. It We have shaped our whole culture around who is a virgin and who is not. Like even in movies, you see where like this girl is has been given to the gods of the village and she, she's a virgin, but she falls in love with this man and blah, blah, blah. And now the gods are angry because you have taken their property without actually thinking that like this is a human being who we're talking about and whose life should not be property. Anyways, another real issue with virginity is that it has really become a religious thing. Even though it did start out as, it started out like, the concept of it started out as property and being able to control your family and controlling who your children were sleeping with and who your lineage was and all that stuff. Now, religion has taken up virginity as its cause, specifically Christianity. <laughs> so there's no specific, like, I haven't seen. If you've seen, let me know. There's no specific time in the Bible where virginity is mentioned, except when talking about Mary. It was just an important point to note that she was a virgin when she had sex. It adds to the story. Like, if the girl had never had sex before and all of a sudden she's pregnant, it makes sense to note because how can you claim that the child is the child of God if she has been sleeping with Jacob? Then it's Jacob's child. There were no condoms in that time. What was he using? So, man, I don't know. Anyways, Christianity and virginity. There's no specific prohibition in the Bible against sex between unmarried men and women. However, sexual immorality, immorality, that's a stupid word, sexual immorality is denounced a lot of times in the Bible. And the word sexual immorality or fornication in English translates to the Greek word porneia, which means illicit sexual intercourse. If you don't know what illicit means, illicit means against the law or wrong or illegal. So the Bible doesn't provide any specific list of acts that, that constitutes a sexual immorality, but there's a particular verse that people like to throw around in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1 to 5. I'll read it out. So I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it says, It is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman, but because of his temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman her own, her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that the Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. End quote. So... When you read this, when I read this verse straight up, I'm just understanding that just to prevent sexual immorality, you should have sex with one person, that one person only, because that person you have decided to spend the rest of your life with. It makes sense, but people are making it seem like people have used this verse 
to excuse um, persecuting people who decided not to be virgins because they just decided not to be, or even permitting rape between spouses, like a husband raping their wives or wives raping husbands because your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the other person, right? Every time I'm confused about like a Bible verse or need to understand something more or need to figure out what is actually going on, I try to read other versions because at the end of the day, the Bible is just stories that have been translated again and again and again and again and again. And if you know when you translate things verbatim, word for word, every single time, the more you translate, the more the meaning is lost. So if you read like all the different versions or as many different versions as you can, then you're able to get a clear picture of what whoever is writing is trying to say at that particular point in time. So I'm going to read the same verses, 1 Corinthians 7, instead of 1 to 5, I'm reading 2 to 6, um, from the message version. And it says, Now, getting down to the questions you have asked in your letter to me first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It is good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is, per from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and if it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not... I'm not understand commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel to you if you should choose them. So, Paul is not saying that this thing is the law. He's not saying that this is what God has said. He's not saying that this is the way you should live your life. He's saying, based on my understanding of what will make your life the most fulfilling for you, right? A man sleeps with his wife and the wife with the husband. Stick to one person. You can control having sex with one person. You know that person is only having sex with you. You trust that person. You're not worried about where they're getting diseases from because whatever they have, you have, or whatever they don't have, you don't have. You're comfortable. You're able to trust one situation, right? Because sexual... Drives are strong, like you said, but the union you have supposedly as married people should keep you together long enough to, yeah, to not give in to sexual drives and not be having sex around people all the time. That being said, though, he makes it clear to say, this is not law. I'm just giving you my best counsel if you should choose to take it. He's advising you. If you like to take the advice, talk. If you like to take the advice, talk. No persecution should come your way. But the way Nigerians have set up their life, if I decide to take one way, now they'll tell me I'm the daughter of Jezebel. If I take another way, I'm the daughter of Ruth. Ah, in God we trust. Anyhow, sexual education. 
I looked, first of all, before I go into sexual education, I looked to see what the Quran says about virginity, and I couldn't really find anything besides saying, like, look at the same thing like Christianity says, Mary was a virgin. That's all. I'm still not seeing any part in the Bible where I told everybody to be a virgin. I understand why it makes sense to wait until you're married to somebody to have sex with them, but it cannot be law. Going into that, sexual education today is that the problem with it right now is that we allow our need to control morality and religion and to stop people from actually doing things that we think are wrong to them. We allow that to cloud our judgment and make us not give people accurate information. <laughs> I'm yet to see one person who was hurt from being able to make informed decisions because they had all the information available. Um, especially when it comes to sexual education, people, I mean, everybody has good intentions, I feel, because you don't want young children making decisions that you feel are harmful for them. But you also have to understand that at the end of the day, you cannot make the decision for them. All you can do is give them information and hopefully pray that they make the decisions that are right for themselves, right? We almost tend to teach sexual education as if there's a right way and then a wrong way, especially when it comes to virginity. It's like someone asking you, are you a virgin or not? It feels like the right thing to say is yes, and then the wrong thing to say is no, because if you say no, then you are this kind of person or not. When, in reality, asking somebody whether they're a virgin or not should be almost the same thing as asking somebody if they like milk in their coffee. It's the same. It's, it doesn't... Yes? No? No? Move on. It doesn't... It shouldn't mean anything other than, okay, this person has sex before. Okay, this person has not. But it almost defines us. Imagine how your life would be if you were defined by whether or not you put milk in your coffee. Sometimes I put milk, sometimes I don't put milk. Now, they accept everybody that puts milk is going to hell. What will I do? Eh? Who am I? Just because that day I said, let me not put milk. Let me be doing big girl with black coffee. It's a sad life. So let me just tell a story. I was in primary two. In Patakot, they called everybody to the hall. Do we have a hall? We had a hall. To have a sexual education seminar. We're sitting down. They tried. They, they, got good, they gave good, good information. We learned about consent. We learned about sexual assault. We learned about a lot of things. We learned about how the school is a safe space. If you feel like somebody is touching you in a weird way and you want to report, we learned that your parents can assault you. Your siblings can assault you. But then the place where they had K-Leg was when it came to HIV. Because, I see, I don't remember what else they said after this statement. But I listened up until this, and then my brain was like, mm -mm, mm. no, 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 no. They said that when you have sex and you're not married, you get HIV. Just That's, that's, that's the rule. But if you're married and you have sex, you don't get HIV. So... I don't know what every other person that was around me was thinking, but I remember that my brain went to the left. I started thinking, how does the virus know who is married and who is not married? And maybe the information they said after that point would have been the information that would have stayed in my head forever. But I cannot tell you what anybody said after that. All I can tell you was that for a week, I kept thinking about how the virus knows. Like, does the act of saying 
you are now man and wife. I pronounce you, whatever, whatever. Does that change something in the chemistry of your body to now make the virus know that you are immune to the disease? Or I was so confused. And I feel like that's, that's the most memorable part about that whole sexual education experience was that how does the virus know? And I just decided these people don't know what they're talking about because it's a virus. If you're married, you still get malaria. Why is HIV different? Anyhow, but thank God for Patakot Life and spending Saturdays at the mall. There's no cyber If you're an old Patakot person, you know the mall. Not the mall now, but the mall when it was the mall, the mall, the mall. There was a cyber cafe in the mall. Every child in Sita used to go to that cyber cafe to do projects. Saturdays in cyber cafe in the mall, I was there Googling how HIV knows when you're married. Why? How does HIV know? If they had just told us the information in the beginning, the correct information, I would have spent a week in my life doing productive things. Probably not, but still. I spent my life Googling whether HIV knows when you're married or not and how it knows. And Google was confused. Anyhow. I feel like that kind of information will, will allow people to, one, fear people who have HIV because but people get HIV for so many different ways that you don't know how someone gets HIV if they get HIV. But it makes you have develop a stigma towards them because you see them as wrong, first of all. Second of all, then now you don't know how people get HIV because you think that once you're married, you're immune. So me, I did my further research and knew that these people don't know what the hell they're talking about. But I'm very sure out of maybe the 300 of us that were there, one person still to this day thinks that if you're married, you cannot get HIV. And if you're out there, drink water because your life will be hot. All right, thank you. Don't be pitching somebody. <laughs> That's all I have to say. There's somebody that went to Sita in 2005. What? No, before 2005, 2003. How old am I? 2003. There's somebody that went to Sita in 2003 that still thinks that if you are married and you have sex, you don't get HIV, and that person's life will be hot because at this Time, they are probably what? 25, between 23 and 27. And they don't know what's going on. That's too bad. So, and then maybe you're saying, why won't parents talk to their children about HIV and sex education and blah, 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 blah? Everybody's parents are not comfortable with different things. There are things that my parents may be comfortable with that your parents may not be comfortable with. So people's parents tell them, tell them about sex from the beginning, like tell them every bit of information. The ones that they need to know, the ones that they don't need to know, the ones that they don't care about. Some other people's parents tell them nothing. I just tell them, just don't do it. However, just don't do it information has not really, just scientifically, it doesn't really deter anybody from not having sex. Just based on the research of people who do Abstinence only education. Just telling you sex is bad, don't do it. If you have sex, you have diseases. If you have sex, you get pregnant. That information hasn't discouraged anybody from having sex. Just statistically, everybody who was going to have sex before you did that talk will still be having sex. So it's, it's irrelevant. You might as well sit down and let's be crackers. Right? But if you want your sexual education curriculum to be successful... In any ways, there's something that you should think about. 
including, okay, first of all, just redefine what you're talking about sexual education as to the parents, because there are parents that will pull their children out of school on days when they're having sexual health seminars, because why are you teaching my children how to have sex? And to those parents, I say, are you dumb? <laughs> Did you not go to school? What are you talking about? Nobody's teaching your children how to have sex. They're teaching your children how to not get diseases. They're teaching your children how to be safe. They're teaching your children how to have consent, how to be informed, how to make decisions for themselves. If you take your child out every single time there's sexual health information, you're also most likely to become a parent that will not talk about sex to your children. Now your children are walking around thinking that HIV causes marriage, and marriage is a cure for HIV. And now your child's brain is hot. So who do you want to help in this country, yourself or your child? Put your child in school when you're doing sexual health For the teachers, let your sexual health curriculum be inclusive. Inclusive, I mean, change the definitions, right? Sex is not just penis, vagina. Sex is penis, vagina, penis, 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 anus, vagina, vagina, no body parts. Hands, legs, eyes, I don't know what people are doing. Sex is very wide, okay? And if you're going to have sexual health education, whether or not you believe this is the right thing or this is the wrong thing, that's not your responsibility right now. Nobody asks you to be the morality police. What we ask you to do is to lay out the information, lay out all the cards, so that when these children are presented with scenarios, they don't get caught unawares. Because if somebody presents something to you that you've never heard before, you feel, wow, wow, this new information, this new something, I've tried it. But if you know it, you know it's not nothing, it's not beans. You tell them, get the hell out of my sight. And then you walk away. Maybe. Or maybe you don't. But then if you don't and then you regret your decision, then you know now. I had the information, I made a wrong choice or a right choice. And I can make, but you'll be more angry if you make a decision that you're not comfortable with. And then you find that you only made that decision because you did not have the information that you should have been given the information for in the beginning because your father was saying, why are you teaching my child how to have sex? Now you hate your father. It's not my fault. I don't write the rules. All I'm saying is that for sexual education, if you're a teacher, I don't know how many people listen to this thing or what the people who listen to this thing do. But if you're a teacher, if you are empowered to control what sexual education curriculums should look like, Let's give you a base definition of things you should look out for. It should be age-appropriate, medically accurate information on a broad set of topics related to sexuality, including development, relationships, making decisions, abstinence, contraception, and preventing diseases. So sexual education doesn't just, shouldn't just center around the act of having sex. Yes, you may want to teach the biology and all that stuff, and that's fine, but there are also so many things that are linked to sexual education that are just as important and you need to speak about. So a well-rounded sexual education should include a little bit of psychology, a little bit of law and understanding how sexuality shapes the way our laws are put in place and how that can be affected, consent and how to relate with people, consequences are for what the consequences are for assaulting people, criminal times, and all that stuff, so everybody knows what is happening. Different modes of contraception. Do you know that the Catholic, like if you're in a Catholic school and you're teaching sexual education, you can't mention condoms. Like the Catholic church doesn't believe in condoms. How can you not believe in anything that is like 
physical. Like you can see. You don't have to believe. Why do you have to believe? Anyways, that's besides the point. If you are teaching sexual education, a condom is not the only means of contraception. Abstinence is also not the only means to not have children. Also, you have to understand that if you're speaking to 20 people, the goal should not be, your go- your aim in the talk should not be that 20 people decide to wait till marriage. I mean, that's possible. But the goal should be that whatever these 20 people decide for themselves, you have given them enough information that they, one, are not left vulnerable in a situation that they are not comfortable in. Two, they know what to do if they are ever in a situation that they are not comfortable in. And three, that they are able to make decisions that ensure that they are in the best place for themselves and their health. That's the whole point of it. The whole point of sexual education is to ensure that people are healthy regardless of what they're doing, right? So if you are a parent, please let the schools know that sexual education is important to have and do not discourage your children from having these conversations. You may not be comfortable having them yourself, and that's fine, but then you should ensure that whoever is having this conversation with your child is giving them accurate information. Because what happens when children don't get accurate information from either parents or school is that they start to find out from themselves. And they probably also do not have the right information because at the end of the day, they are children. So for parents or educators or lawmakers, first of all, before I even go into that, if you're wondering how virginity and sexual education and all that plays into politics and religion and how laws are shaped in Nigeria. Just think about when those 70 girls were arrested from that club in Abuja and how the image of was of them was like, how can these girls be in a club? Wholesome girls don't go to clubs. They're going to clubs and they're dancing around. They must be prostitutes because prostitutes are inherently bad because prostitutes are not virgins. But <laughs> prostitution is not the issue if you have a system that allows for a demand for prostitution. Prostitution is the cause of the effect. So if you want to fix prostitution, you have to fix whatever is creating the system for prostitution to thrive in. In other words, sex work is legal work and valid work if you are in a system that creates a demand for sex work. Because everybody that shouts we want to be rid of the prostitutes is not persecuting people who are paying prostitutes to have sex with them. So think about that. Anyways, if you are a parent or an educator or someone who is just interested and would like to let to learn more information on how to ensure that your curriculums or like you're having conversations that are inclusive and are more tolerable and are helpful to people. Let me just give you some tips. There's a few people that I think you should watch or listen to on YouTube. Everybody has YouTube. You have the internet. First of all, Shannon Boudram. If you ever, if you're listening to anyone, listen to Shannon Boudram. She is probably the best sexual educator of our generation right now. Okay, and she just released a book on relationships and sensuality and being desirable and how and the science behind that. Like, literally, like, a couple weeks ago. Second person to listen to is Hannah Witten. She is a British um, sexual educator. She talks a lot about sexual-related diseases and disorders. Not disorders. (laughs) 
like things that complicate sexual relations with your body. So like ulcer, colitis, ulcer colitis. She has ulcer colitis. She talks about vaginismus. Talks a lot about periods. Talks a lot about having a stoma and sensuality and all that stuff. Those are the two people I think everyone should be listening to, right? First of all, those two. Listen to them first. If you are a teacher and you want to learn about just making your curriculum more informative and well-rounded, I would check out teaching... What is that thing called? Teaching Tolerance. Teachingtolerance.org. It's a whole, like, resource base for, like, making sure that your curriculum is well-rounded and inclusive for people, whether sexual health, race and religion, diversity, whatever. It has resources, classroom information, handouts, magazines, publications, research, so many things that can help you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you learned something. And if you learned nothing, I just want you to learn that virginity is a social construct and you cannot define rules for other people's bodies. Thank you. Bye.